Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to these things that we have been talking about this week. As I did the research for these last words of Christ on the cross, I was continually surprised, actually stunned is a better word, to see the complexities of each word, gesture, the accomplishment. I'm sure someone has written on the number of prophecies that were filled by the crucifixion and the week before and the days that followed. I'm sure there are volumes and volumes of which I've never read. But today, I hope you'll stand with me as we open up several elements of the fifth statement that Jesus spoke from the cross. Now, as we look at these statements in this week of the virus, in this week of weeks, holy weeks, Easter coming in a few days, and all of us having shelved our Easter traditions, I was thinking about maybe I should cook my Easter dinner for my husband and myself, and that would mean I would have to get some food from the store, and then our family would be on Zoom, but then they wouldn't be able to eat what I was eating. I gave a lot of thought to the differences that this will mean to our family, because Easter has always been a very unique and special time for the adult family. So as we look at this fifth statement, we can see how the last three statements are particularly connected. The last three statements of the seven statements that Christ spoke. And if you will remember, I spoke these earlier and put them up on the website. So feel free to go there and check them out. But the last three are I thirst, which we'll talk about today. And then it is finished. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I'm going to combine the last two into one because. Part of what's going on with these statements is Christ's utterances, his spoken words, as seen by the Gospel writers. So again, let me refer to the Week of Weeks Synoptic Gospels that you can find on uh, our website. Also, let me refer to the items that you can now pick up during this virus time as a gift from Modern Homemakers to Your Family. Uh, I was with a group of women yesterday by phone, by Zoom, and I heard them all talking about the thing I mentioned, which is, what have you been dreaming about doing? And now you have some minutes to do. And some of you are saying, I have less minutes now than I normally do because I'm working from home, helping my children with school from home, maintaining home, and doesn't home get messier when you're there all the time? But a number of people had asked about organizations. So we wanted to make the Secrets to Getting More Done in Less Time a seminar available to you during this time as a free item also. So go to the website, look at the last statements, pick up one of these free things that will help you in this time of being confined or quarantined. Now, the reason why I decided to link these last two together, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, because these are the gospel writers who are hearing 
the last words and putting them together in a way that concludes all of the statements. So when we gather tomorrow, we will finish the last two statements on the same day. So in order to get to the primary force of the fifth false utterance of Jesus, we must note its setting. Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I'm reading that from John 19, verse 28. Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, I found that very thought-provoking, that, that Jesus is in this place of thinking about so many things. And I also related to it as a woman. Um, for those of you who have heard me speak on organization, you've heard me say, I'm a bunny trailer. Uh, the reason why I was so unorganized, the reason why organization became such a change point in my life was because I could never even get organized because I would start something and then go off to do something that had to do with what I just started, bunny trail, and while I was there, I'd run into something else, and run, and I kept bunny trailing until finally I stopped for a glass of iced tea and then never got anything done. And so when I help women get organized, I say to them, you have to stay in the same place. You have to start with a project and not leave that place. That's why the three ideas of give away, put away, throw away can be accomplished without your bunny trailing off. And yet I find this, this last I thirst, it feels like that's exactly what happens. Jesus is knowing all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. He, he was, was he conscious? I, I believe he was. I believe he was. And these two words, I thirst, all found in different gospels. And once again, we catch a new frame of a group of pictures given to us by these three gospel writers. If you were looking at each one of these statements as if it was a photo in a frame, you would see Jesus exhausted, nearing the end, having less oxygen, and finding it hard to push himself up so he can breathe, much less speak. And as I look at the last statement, what strikes me most is the cohesiveness, I sense. Now, I'm talking to you about organization and planning because I'm a planner, because I'm an organization person. I coined the key word to organization is preparation. But I must also believe here that the ultimate plan of God is being played out in Christ. And a few weeks ago, we talked about being a real and ready person. Uh, ready person was a phrase coined by uh, Oswald Chambers. And I think this is Jesus. Jesus is both the ready person and he is the unrelentlessly obedient person. He is keeping his end of this agreement, an agreement that is a meaningful connection to all that God has said in the past and all that Jesus has done as fully man and fully God. I thirst. What's that got to do with anything? Does, does it, was he, is it a cry out to the crowd saying, I'm thirsty, this is exhausting, 
give me a bottle of water. Maybe it's smart water. Maybe it's a Diet Coke. You know, I I think there's so many ways you could look at it if you're not looking at it in in context. And I assure you, I have given this a careful examination, but I would say my carefulness in the vast numbers of connectors is, is, is a modicum of what there is. So the first thing that came to my mind is that water is a metaphor. It's found in the scripture over and over again. Moses strikes the water, the rock, and the water gushes. The children get right to the edge of the Red Sea, and the water parts. I think most of the Samaritan woman at the well, when she is offered water of a different sort to quench her thirst for the rest of her life, and, and then I go to Psalm 42, as the deer thirsts or longs for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts or longs for the living life. And as, as Jesus, John, writing about Jesus, finishes talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says a very powerful thing that we talked about last fall, because it came very fresh to me about was I living water or was I stagnant water? And when I went to this account of the Samaritan woman at the well drawing water in the middle of a hot day, and there's a Jewish man, and they speak to one another, all of it's out of tradition, and Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. I'm sure they're talking about the well. You know, Jewish people have a great deal of hand gestures. I can just see them at this well. And he's pointing to the well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. And he goes on to say that the water he gives will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And she says simply, Sir, give me this water. Oh, I wonder if I would have said the same. But now we see Jesus on the cross, exhausted, about to die, about to end what has been going on for this last week. And I'm thinking about water and thirst Mother Teresa, who is so well-known around the world, in the chapel in the Bronx of New York, above the entrance to the chapel, it says, I thirst, I quench. (sighs) That touched me so much when I read that. I thought, I thirst. This is a quote of what we are talking about in this fifth statement from the cross. Christ's words from the cross. He simply says, I thirst. But in his I thirsting, he becomes the I quench. And that just touched my heart. I hope it touches yours. That here is Christ in the middle of this horrible, what what is the the book about the horrible, no good, terrible, bad day he's having? Wow, that just the understatement of the kind of experience that Christ is going through. And Jesus has screamed out, Why have you forsaken me? 
and scholars believe that he used so much energy in that scream and that cry that these laughter utterances, which are found in Luke and John, are much less dramatic. So he has now just passed through six hours of unparalleled suffering, yet his mind is clear and his memory seems unimpaired. He knows the Messianic prophecies and the predictions. He knows where there is yet one to be fulfilled. Now, that's the part of the plan, the plan and the preparation and all that God did to get us from there to here. A.W. Pink, who was an 18th century um, Bible scholar, said, Jesus overlooks nothing. What a proof is this, that he had divinely superior to all circumstances. What is the Messianic prophecy? Where is that? What is that all about? And I went back to the reference of Psalm 69, which is a Messianic psalm that describes very graphically this passion, this experience that Christ is going through. In it is the spirit of prophecy when he declares in Psalm 69, verse 21, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And when I opened my Bible and read that, I just wept. I just cried. I thought, oh, this is, this is not just a play. This is not just a theatrical production. This is not something that was well-planned and well-rehearsed. This is thousands of years of connecting the dots and getting it perfect. My husband and I are in the middle of the move into our new home, and the virus has restricted and confined all of the things that we uh, are doing, and we're trying just to get ourselves into the house in an order that will able make us able to be confined. And what it's taking is an unbelievable amount of energy. I said to my producer as we began, I feel so exhausted. And as I used the word, I thought of this word in Christ's moments on the cross. Exhausted? I know nothing of this kind of exhaustion. And there he was, yet clear-minded, remembering that he had to fulfill all the prophecies. And he said, I thirst. If you read the whole of the 69th Psalm, and I hope you do, in verse 2, he talks about the deep mire. In verse 4, he's hated without a cause. In verse 7, he's born reproach and shame. In verse 8, he's become a stranger and the brother, and that's about being betrayed. All the way down through the 20th verse, when it says that he cried, I thirst. It, it is a psalm written hundreds of years before Christ is being crucified, and he is now fulfilling it. The fulfillment of many spoken words of Christ in this crucifixion and final utterances strikes me as nothing short of profound. It even adds me to remember 
that when Peter draws his sword, you know, our friend Peter, who's always acting impetuously, he's now disappeared. He's denied and disappeared. All the disciples are gone. But just a few days ago, when he was, Jesus was being arrested, and Peter and James and John are there praying with Jesus or sleeping while Jesus is praying, when they come to get him, Peter draws out his sword like the big guy, and he cuts off the ear of the servant. And when he does this, Jesus says, The cup the Father has given me, am I not to drink it? He continues to display in New Testament utterances the importance of the connection to what God's ultimate plan was to bring about redemption. And then here's another little silly piece, okay, that touched me so much in my study. And that was some of your versions may use that they dipped a sponge. Uh, Some of the old um, artistry, especially in the early church um, depictions of this moment, they, they show something on the edge of a sword. Uh, there are a lot of possibilities. But the word they use is hyssop. And I, because I have this computer, and I can look up hyssop and get a wonderful definition, and I thought, what is hyssop? I don't know what hyssop is. Do you? Well, I'm going to tell you. So hyssop is a wild shrub, and it was used in ancient Jewish rites of purification. Can you sense where I'm going with that? I just stopped and took a deep breath. I thought, hyssop, not a sponge, hyssop. Why? Because in Exodus 12, they used hyssop to sprinkle the blood of the Paschal Lamb on the lentils of the doorposts of the Israelite homes to save them from the angel of death. I, I want you to know that I stand amazed and anew at God's love for me. And I hope you can feel the same. His attention to detail, his care and concern, his connecting of the dots, his his showing for generations to come what all of this meant and why it was all being accomplished. The new covenant Jesus seals with his blood. The Paschal Lamb, the Lamb of God in the form of Jesus, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. I'm, I'm just dumbstruck by that wonderful connection and the remembrances. Come and follow me, Jesus says. Take up your cross and follow me. In the world you'll have trouble, but fear not. I have overcome the world. In the book of Revelation, the white-robed saints around the throne of the Lamb are those who have come out of the great tribulation. I thirst, said Jesus, so that those who follow him thirst to drink of the same chalice which he drank. These connections to me are just amazing. Just amazing. They cause me to stutter, as you can see I'm doing. And what does this all have to do with me, Donna Otto, in the 21st century, or you, wherever you live, and whatever you're doing in your daily life? 
John, are you really talking about hyssop in the middle of a pandemic? I am, because I think it just goes to show us how big is God? Does he know and understand? Is he still ultimately in charge? Is he caring for us and protecting us in ways we cannot understand? Here is his son on the cross, and he is doing exactly what God, his father, has called him to do, and he is forsaken. I know there are times when we feel the same sort of forsaken. So what does it have to do with me? I kept thinking about it as I was preparing for our time together, and Paul writes in the New Testament that we are to become all things to all men, that by all means we might save some. And yesterday when we talked, I referred you to Psalm 22, where he ends the psalm by saying that posterity shall serve him, men shall tell of the Lord to the coming generations, just as I am telling to the coming generations. And they will proclaim this to a people yet unborn. You know, in some liturgical churches around the world, every Sunday, every time they gather together for worship on Sundays, the church says in unison, Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ will come again. Quite a powerful three phrases. In Jesus' life and death, and resurrection, and promise of coming again, we are changed. I am changed. What does this all have to do with you and me and America in the pandemic, in the 21st century? Jesus' death on the cross allowed me to be graced, allows you to have his mercies and to see them, allows you to have a living water coursing through your soul. We are the generation that was yet unborn. You are the generation that was yet unborn. There are generations that are yet unborn. This last few months, I've had two really dear daughters of my heart who gave birth to children. They gave birth to children, a little girl and a little boy. And I was thinking about them to, as I was going through my notes for today's time. And I thought that was a generation yet unborn just a few weeks ago. So David spoke of it in Psalm 22. How can we be all things to all men, as Paul encourages us? We can never be everything, but we can be something. And in this time of the pandemic, In this time of protecting of ourselves, it's very difficult to know how to go out and help somebody. But I believe God whispers in our ears and shows each of us how to do it. So I want to say to you three little things. Learn his voice. If you do not know the voice of God, if you are not sure that it's his voice or somebody else's voice, may I encourage you to take the steps necessary to know his voice. The second thing, abide in his love, stay in his love and voice. When things look dark and dismal, 
when the cupboards are looking empty because we don't have enough of them, or toilet paper is really running out at your house. A friend of mine told me they have three children, three daughters. Uh, that means four women in the house, and they had four rolls of toilet paper left. And I thought, well, that can't last for very long. <laughs> but the truth is that we abide in his love and his care, and he will take care of us. And lastly, would you consider writing across your Bible somewhere or in your journal tomorrow morning or on the thumb of your left hand if you're right-handed or right hand if you're left-handed, or on your mirror, we unrelentlessly obedient. That's what Jesus was. Then we will know why Jesus spoke these last words, connecting us forever to all of us who stand before him now. You know, we do stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, men and women, who lived ahead of us, who showed us the way. And so we stand on their shoulders. It seems to me that the fullness of history is a part of this, and it's a part of our prayer. In this time of a worldwide crisis, we stand together with Jesus, the one who emptied himself. The disciples Jesus chose lived with him for three years. They did not want him to leave. And I could see why. If Jesus was walking with me every day and talking with me and showing me and telling me, I would not want him to leave me. Yet it was because he left that we can fully appropriate the incarnation of Christ in us. So I ask you, all of you who are listening, as I ask myself this morning, do we acknowledge his lordship? Do we recognize his grace in us? Are you living a water full, a life full of living, moving, breathing water? Or has your pond become stagnant? Maybe in this middle of the week of weeks, in the middle of this pandemic, you hear Christ saying, come. You hear Jesus saying, come. And maybe it's for the first time you hear him saying, come. Or perhaps it's a come to stop and listen to the thing he's calling you to do, to be a part of this movement in this crisis time around the world. I have a young friend. Her name is Chrissy Young. She and her husband live in Houston. They have been in Houston now, I think, for oh, maybe seven or eight years. I'm not exactly sure how long they've been there, but she is a, a daughter of a friend here in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, she's often back and forth in Phoenix. Um, her livelihood now that her children are grown is that of an interior designer, and she and her husband were praying for their congregation, and they thought, we should call everyone we know and ask them if they'd like to pray at noon, Eastern Eastern Standard Time. That would be 9 o'clock for those of us in Arizona and California. 10 o'clock for Mountain Time, 11 o'clock for Zone Time. It, it, the reversing goes back, 9, 10, 11, noon. 
I would encourage you to join her and her family. Join the many people that she has invited through her Facebook and Instagram. I would ask you to join with your family. You're at home. Your whole family's at home. Set your alarm. Set your phone to go off at noon. May I also encourage you to kneel as a family in a humble position for a short prayer. Ask the children to pray. Read a prayer. Say a prayer. Have a quiet prayer. Everyone together quietly pray. Just a minute or two. Don't make it a hard time. One of my young friends called me and said, I want to have a day of silence while we're all at home. And she has four very active children and a very active husband. And he said, no, that doesn't sound like fun at all. And, of course, she always says, he's the fun parent. And I said, well, you could make it fun. Make up tunics and robes and don't plan all day because we're not going to do that. And talk about what it feels to be a monk in solitude and silence and quiet. So what does it feel to kneel and pray around the world with other brothers and sisters? So I know that you're listening. I just got an email from my friend in Seoul, Korea. Nicole, we're so glad you're there and so glad you're listening. The 29 or 30 other countries join us here at Modern Homemakers to noon to stop and pray for this pandemic around the world. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of remembering Christ's fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> 